0: Father, we're so conscious uh, that we need your word, and uh, we call out to you as we come to your word, please uh, help us, Uh, please speak to us, and please empower us that we might live the the blessed life that Jesus calls us to live, and uh, we pray this in his name, amen. Amen. It was on uh, September the 30th, uh, 1938 that Neville Chamberlain, the British Prime Minister, returned from Munich having met with the German Chancellor Adolf Hitler. And uh, his, his plane came into the Heston Aerodrome, London Airport, um, to, a, to a crowd of joyful supporters. And he famously waved a piece of paper in the air. It was the Munich Agreement. Signed by himself and Hitler, and in his words, it was symbolic of the desire of our two peoples never to go to war with one another again. Uh, In his own words, later on, he said this represented this piece of paper peace for our time. And yet, we all know a year later, Hitler, the Nazis invaded Poland was the beginning of the bloodiest war this world has ever seen, a war which took over 50 million lives. We live in a world of conflict, of continual warfare, global war, civil war, tribal war, religious war. It's been said rightly of the history of this world, it's basically a history of violence. Turn on the television any day and you'll see stories of violence, terrorist attacks, politically motivated murder, revenge killings, different kinds of violence uh, done by different kinds of people. We see conflict on the television. We see conflict in our own lives, Uh, family breakdown, um, gossip, grudges, social media disputes, church splits. We love the idea of peace. We talk about peace. But our experience is one of ongoing conflict we live in a world of conflict and it's into this context that Jesus says blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God if you've been with us recently you'll know you've been looking at this um, wonderful series in the Beatitudes where Jesus describes the life in the kingdom of heaven and he says it's the blessed life it's the life that is favored by God it's not a tick list, do this and this will follow. Instead, it's, it's a description of discipleship, of the, the perspective and the life and the attitudes of Christians, those in the kingdom. It begins with being poor in spirit, mourning your sin, acknowledging our utter need for God and his mercy. It goes on to a desire for righteousness. Last week, we thought about being pure in heart, and today, Peacemakers. See, the challenge for us this morning is, in this world of conflict, what impact do our lives have? Just as a ship sails along and leaves turbulence in its wake, what impact do our lives have? Do we promote conflict or peace? The first thing we see is this. The blessed life involves being a peacemaker I'm going to look at three questions. What is peace? What is a peacemaker? What does peacemaking involve? And this is the theory. Um, before, at the end of the second point, we'll go on to think more about uh, specific application. So, the blessed life, says Jesus, involves being a peacemaker. What is peace, though? I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of peace. Maybe a desert island with uh, a cool breeze, deep blue sea. The sun glistening on it. Maybe anti-war protesters holding up signs. Uh, maybe reading a book in a cozy lounge by the log fire in the winter. Maybe holding up two fingers that way. What is peace? Well, in biblical thinking, it's not the absence of hostility. It's not simply a lack of conflict, a good disagreement, toleration of others, appeasement, No, it is, it's not passive, it is much more than that. Peace is the presence of harmony. So you may be familiar with the Hebrew word shalom. And that idea is to do with wholeness, well-being, completeness, security, harmony. That's the idea of peace. It's something which you have to create. It's not simply the absence of hostility, it's the presence of harmony, that is peace. So what then is a peacemaker? Um, it's, it's not someone who is peaceful. You, know, you might think of the, the kind of person who is serene and meditative and reflective, maybe the uh, expat living in Provence, sipping a glass of wine in the late summer sun, or a, a Buddhist sitting serenely cross-legged outside a Buddhist temple or the gap year student in Thailand wearing a bead and reading philosophy the retired gardener uh, watering her foxgloves in the perfectly kept paradise the holidaymaker sitting by the pool drinking a beer and reading the newspaper no, it's not someone who is peaceful it's also not someone who avoids conflict the kind of person who where well, there's an argument in the kitchen, finds themselves wandering up the steps upstairs. The kind of person who never argues, never gets involved, avoids conflict at all costs. That's not being a peacemaker. It's being a peacekeeper. It's not someone who avoids conflict. Now, a peacemaker simply is someone who makes uh, peace, who goes out of their way whatever the cost, to create harmony. So what is peace? It's the presence of harmony. What is a peacemaker, someone who makes peace? So then what does peacemaking actually involve? Well, here we're still working at the level of theory. Negatively, it means forsaking selfish ambition, positively pursuing peace. So negatively, forsaking selfish ambition. It means Uh, Not being driven in life by our own glory and reputation and honour and comfort. See, if those are the things that drive us, selfish ambition, how then will we relate to other people? Well, there's going to be conflict, isn't there? Because likely they too will be living for those things. That may be that it suits us at times to have a kind of peace with people. But if you're Goal in life is is driven by those things. You will never pursue peacemaking because it's costly, because it involves sacrifice. And of course, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he's already said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. This comes after forsaking selfish ambition. If we're going to be peacemakers, it starts with negatively forsaking selfish ambition, but then positively pursuing peace. One of the things that has struck me as I've, I've thought about this verse and looked at the rest of the New Testament is how often Christians are told to pursue peace. Just here are some of these examples. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 22. Paul says to Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Peace. Hebrews 12 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. 1 Peter 3.11 Whoever would love life and see good days must turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There's one challenge. To go away with this morning it's this if you're a christian you are called to pursue peace you're not gonna we're not gonna fall into it it's not gonna just happen coincidentally it will only happen if we pursue peace and jesus says look this is the blessed life it's a life of favor In a world of conflict and hostility, of bitterness and rage, anger, pride, envy, jealousy, Christians are to shine like lights in a dark place because we pursue peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And one of the reasons I think it's important that we see that this is the blessed life is that there is a kind of perverse enjoyment of conflict. There's a pleasure in anger. The release of aggression, the experience of getting something off your chest, it's much easier, in a sense, to experience conflict than peace. It's easier, conflict is easier than the tough call of gentleness, which sounds kind of weak, but involves restraining your anger. And of course that's going to be important for peace. Conflict is easier than the the tough call of forgiveness, the refusal to count someone's sins against them of course forgiveness is going to be essential if there's going to be peace conflict is easier than the tough call of love loving people however hard they are and that's going to be important for peace in some ways conflict is easier and even more enjoyable than peace i used to be a secondary school teacher and i remember in the summer i would often um, be on duty outside in the In the um, field, and it was a boys' school, and there were often fights. And uh, it would happen in a similar way someone would say something to someone else, maybe a a push, and then a bit like a a flock of ducks um, going towards bread that's been thrown into the lake, the whole of the field, the boys in the field would swarm towards this one place. You know, anything to see a, a fist thrown, a punch given, and maybe, you know, hair pulled, anything. They loved it. Because I would go, not because I was interested, enjoyed it, you know, I would go to sort of, you know, solve things and, and sort things out. But there is a, a kind of perverse enjoyment of conflict, the thrill of seeing a fight. But Jesus says, no, no, the presence of peace, the reconciliation of enemies, the end of hostility, that is Beautiful. That really is beautiful, it is far more precious, far more wonderful than conflict and aggression and hostility, and Jesus says "No, those things are ugly. They're deeply damaging and destructive. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So the Christian, the Christian will treasure peace wherever possible. The Christian will love to see marriages restored. The Christian will love to see friends reunited, churches healed. Christians who've fallen out working together. It is a beautiful thing, wherever possible, to experience peace. Now, why is it that that peace is more beautiful than conflict? You might think that's that's a stupid question. It's kind of obvious, isn't it? We assume it. But, in our society, if the story that we tell ourselves is true, this world has just evolved out of nothing, That the guiding principle in life is the survival of the fittest, the strong crushing the weak, then why? If that is true, why does peace matter more than conflict? No good reason. And yet the Bible says, no, no, no. There is a reason that peace is more precious than conflict, because at the heart of the universe is not conflict but a God of peace. A God who delights in making peace, who rejoices in peace. So the reason that being a peacemaker is so blessed is that when we make peace, we are acting just like our Father in heaven. The blessed life involves being a peacemaker. And here's the second thing. Peacemakers will be called sons of God because they reflect the character of their father. See, fundamentally, we are called as Christians to be peacemakers because God is a God of peace. He's described in that way, in many times in the New Testament, he's the God of peace. He's the God of peace, he's the God who brings peace. Um, Paul writes to many of the churches, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives peace. And he's the God who makes peace supremely, as as was read in Ephesians, through the prince of peace, Jesus. So just hear this from Colossians 1, talking about Jesus, for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So the reason that we as Christians are called to pursue peace is because first, God has pursued peace with us through Jesus. One of the things I I found as a father is that the music I get to listen to is quite different. In the car, the kind of CDs that we hear. Um, But of the kind of Christian children's songs we, we listen to, there's one that I particularly like. And um, it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. If you've heard me sing, you'll know why. Um, The greatest treasure in the whole wide world is peace with God. It's the best thing. I, I love that song. I love telling it to my children. If you're a parent, tell your children that. It's the best thing in the world. There is nothing better than peace with God. Because the Bible says, by nature, we are his enemies. All of us, by nature, resist God. We don't want anything to do with him. Willingly, foolishly, we reject God. We think we have the right to reinterpret this world and basically make God nothing, nobody. And yet the, the amazing thing is that this God wants peace with us. Not just that hostility would be ended but that we might know him and love him and be known by him and be loved by him that we'd stop fighting him and enjoy him forever and in Jesus God sent his son to deal with our sin and our death to reconcile us to him through his blood shed on the cross if you're not a Christian here this morning God wants peace with you you do not have peace with him. You can only have peace with him if you turn to Jesus. But because of what he's done, you can do. He wants peace with you. And, and this is why as Christians we rejoice. Paul says in Romans 5, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the supreme peacemaker. And it's because of this vertical peace with God, that as Christians, those who who know this peace, we then pursue horizontal peace with others. And you see, you cannot have one without the other. Because wanting to have this kind of peace will only happen if we first have experienced it with God. See, only if I marvel, you know, if I'm just amazed that God would want peace with me, would I then long for peace with others? You may be thinking, well, isn't all people want peace with with other people? And I guess it's true that all of us want peace with some people, makes life a lot easier, right? But not many of us want peace with all people. None of us really want peace with all people because that kind of peace is hard. And yet Jesus says the kind of peace that we are to pursue is is peace with whoever we know. It's with all people, whatever they're like, however they treat us, whether we like them or we are like them. Jesus says, no, pursue peace with all people. And it's only possible if we first know peace with God. And those who do this, those who are peacemakers, Jesus said, will be called sons of God. Now, our translation reads children of God. The original says sons of God. Obviously, sons and children is quite similar. But we miss something if we lose the word sons. Why is that? Well, because um, it's not simply about status, belonging as children. Now, in the, the ancient world, the world this was written into, to be a son meant to share the characteristics of your father. To be a son of a father is to be like him. Now God is revealed to us as father, and when we make peace with other people, when we pursue peace, then we are like him, whether we're male or female, we are like his sons, because we share the characteristics of our father. Among um, my friends, my son has something of a reputation. He's a bit cheeky. He's pretty inquisitive, likes to ask questions. He likes doing bad accents. He's quite sporty. He's very good-looking. In many ways, just like his father. And when it comes to asking questions, there's a reason for this, because I spent most of my youth watching football, totally failed in my education, not totally, but pretty much, and therefore I've been playing catch-up pretty much since then. Um, so I like to ask questions, to you know, find things out, to make up for misspent youth and so on. And so when people hear me asking a question, knowing Joshua, they say, ah, that's where he gets it from. That's why he asks all his questions, because his son is like his father. So when we are called sons of God, it's because we're acting just like our father. When, when we as Christians pursue peace, when we forsake selfish ambition, when we commit ourselves to wanting peace, with other people, we are reflecting the heart of our Father. We will be called sons of God. Peacemakers will be called sons of God because they reflect the character of their Father. So this is the blessing. The blessed life is being a peacemaker. And peacemakers will be called sons of God because they reflect the character of their Father. So practically then, what will it mean for us this week, to pursue peace and experience his blessing. Well, three things. Here's the first one: Gaze upon the beauty of our peace-making God. See so what do you do if you, if you find yourself in, in reality leaving conflict in your wake? What if that is you, if you're honest? So what would you do if out of the heart comes rage? What do you do if you struggle to forgive people? If you bear grudges? If you just cannot forget that unkind word that was spoken to you or about you? If you wish evil on other people? If in your, your marriage, your, with your children, your close relationships, you lose it? You find yourself in danger of losing it again and again. What do you do if you leave conflict in your wake? I guess if we know ourselves, then all of us will think of areas where we struggle with this. And the truth is that we will only begin to and grow in our love for peace, our desire to make peace, if we are first humbled and overwhelmed by the knowledge that God has made peace with us. If we spend time reflecting on God's kindness his utterly undeserved love for us then then how could we not want peace with other people if we love the peace of god it would be impossible for us then to not in any sense desire peace with other people there is nothing more moving in life than reconciliation jesus parable of the prodigal son if you know it is the most moving in my opinion because it's about a father's reconciliation with his son a son who is wayward and rebellious who has wanted his father dead and yet comes home repentant and his father what does he do he runs towards him he puts his arms around him he hugs him he, he wants to kill the fat and calf for him and celebrate because his son who was lost is found you cannot beat that and if we know that we are that son That we deserve God's eternal condemnation and yet He comes with open arms, then how could we not be changed? You cannot love the peace of God and not desire peace with other people as long as it is possible. So gaze upon the beauty of our peacemaking God. Here's the second thing tell people the gospel. given what our world is like it's not surprising that there is a deep-rooted human longing for peace as i said people talk about it all the time we don't have it most of us would love it and in the world of politics peace is often spoken about good government security safety prosperity get rid of isis terrorism peace it's our goal isn't it so how should a christian think about that well it's clearly a good thing for us to want peace in that way it's a good thing to be involved in seeking peace here and now but ultimately we are naive and we are plain wrong if we think that this side of Jesus' return there will be complete peace on earth because what does Jesus say Mark 13 when you hear of wars and rumours of wars do not be alarmed such things must happen but the end is still to come Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. See, the, the actual reason why there will not be peace on earth now is because Jesus' kingdom has come. So what, is he, what else did he say? Well, Matthew 10, 34. Do not suppose I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. I was driving past a, a church building the other day, and there was a, a verse on the outside on a poster, John 10:10. 10, 10, I've come, they may have life and life to the full. And I thought to myself, I've never seen a church with Matthew 10:34 in it. Jesus says, Do not suppose I've come to bring peace to earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Is this a contradiction? How can the Prince of Peace also be saying he came to bring a sword? Well, no, the point is that this evil world will reject the Prince of Peace. Because he's come to bring peace, this evil world will reject him. The, the kingdom of Satan will resist the kingdom of God. There will be bitter war until the end. Just read Revelation. Now there will not be peace on earth before Jesus comes. So if that is the case, what does it mean then for a Christian to be a peacemaker? Well, in the first instance, it means this, tell people the gospel, the good news, that there is hope that we can have peace with God. Because you know, people's greatest need is not to have for a short time a, a, a life without conflict or war. A people's greatest need is for eternity to know peace with God. That is what people need it's the greatest reality of all and it can only happen if people turn to christ so if we are interested in making peace then we must tell people the gospel otherwise people will have no peace because there is no peace for the wicked you cannot be a peacemaker and not be interested in telling people the gospel Now, it does involve more than this, but it never involves less than this. And we are deceived if we think we are peace-loving, if we're not trying to tell people the gospel. Tell people the gospel. Here's the third thing. Pursue peace wherever possible. In 1969, John Lennon, the British music star of the Beatles, wrote the song, Give Peace a Chance. And he wrote it on his honeymoon with his new wife, Yoko Ono. They were a slightly unusual couple. They decided to spend their honeymoon uh, doing what they called a bed-in in uh, Montreal in Canada. They spent a week in bed, um, surrounded by uh, posters promoting peace. And they invited the press to come and see this display. The press thought this was a bit strange too. They, they turned up and they said to John Ananyo, what are you trying to achieve by this? And he said, give peace a chance. And that was how the song went. It's it's a good song. All all we are saying is, give peace a chance. It became the anthem of the um, anti-war movement in the 70s in the States. And so in the public sphere, someone like John Lennon loves to talk about peace. Um, He even sent an acorn to various heads of state in the world as a symbol of peace. But you don't have to know much about his own life to know that he was not a peacemaker. Tragically, His own relationships were often massively dysfunctional, full of conflict. You see, it's one thing to talk about peace publicly. It is quite another to promote it personally. And the Bible is very practical. It won't allow us to pretend. See, most of us are not going to to have a massive influence on lots of people. But we will all influence some people. And to be a peacemaker means pursuing peace... With whoever we relate to. So if you're married, don't pursue your rights. My husband should be treating me better. My wife should be treating me better. No, don't pursue your rights. Pursue peace. So maybe there's a, a common pattern to conflict in your marriage. Um, one of you tends to start it. Maybe the other tends to keep it going. One of you maybe shuts down, the other refuses to forgive. Maybe you tend to talk late at night. Or there's, There's something, there's some kind of pattern. Now, if that's the case, think about it and try and stop it early because you know how it tends to be. Pursue peace. Remember the most important words in any marriage, I'm sorry and I forgive you. It cannot be said enough. The question is, what can you do if you're married in your marriage to pursue peace in your relationships at church again don't pursue your rights people should be looking after me better they should be treating me better no pursue peace perhaps there's somebody in your heart who you know you feel pretty bitter towards Have there's been a, a fallout you've sort of apparently sorted it out but you know you haven't it's just cheap peace you know, these situations are pretty complicated of course it's hard to know what to do but Maybe you need to talk to someone again. Because if there's not true forgiveness, there's not true reconciliation, there's not true peace. I guess sometimes it's not wise to air all our grievances. But maybe sometimes if there's a genuine problem, we need to sort it out. Maybe there is someone you need to speak to again. You need to pray to God for the power to forgive or maybe you're just constantly critical of people, critical of the leadership, critical heart. Maybe you're frustrated with people they are just not serving you well. Maybe you find it really hard to say sorry. Satan would love to bring conflict. But Jesus says no, pursue peace. So what are you doing in this church family to pursue peace? What about your relationships at work? Um, Again, don't pursue your rights. My employer should be treating me better. My colleagues should be treating me better. Pursue peace. Remember, there's a culture of complaining, belittling other people, criticizing, gossiping, how easy it is to join in. Or maybe you're on the, the brunt of that. You're being treated badly. You're a target, and you just long for a chance to get back. Well, again, don't pursue your rights. Pursue peace. Pursue peace in your activity on social media. So easy, isn't it, to to send a text or click a button without much thought, but think before you text, think before you type. Ask yourself the question, is the content and the tone of this communication one that pursues peace? Both are important because it's so easy to be provocative, to use inflammatory language to stir up conflict. Whatever context, as far as it is possible, pursue peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let's pray. Father, we are just astonished that in Jesus we have peace with you. That Despite the state of our hearts, our corruption, our, our love of conflict even, you have pursued peace with us. We we thank you so much that Jesus came for sinners like us and that he calls us now to live the blessed life. And again, we know we need your power to do that. So we long and pray for your Holy Spirit to transform us, to change us, to see your, your beauty, that you are a God of peace, that we might be those who pursue peace and know this blessing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.